I want to dismiss the children, the little ones up through grade four to some adults who are prepared to receive them. And I thank you adults if you are among those who pour your life into our kids. Thank you very, very much for that. There's always room for more. And so if God stirs in your heart as you watch these little ones going, that maybe God has given you a touch to pour into their lives, boy, we'd love that. Did you bring your copy of God's Word with you this morning? If you did, could I invite you please to open it for it's God's answer book to life into the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And if you didn't happen to bring a Bible, there should be one under the chair in front of you there. Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Maybe someone would tell me what page is 2 Chronicles 26 in the Bibles that are there under the chair. 325, I think I heard. Wonderful, thank you. We're in 2 Chronicles 26 today because if you're reading with us through our summer journey, and you know that I've prepared this little reading schedule for you, and if you don't have one, there's several more at the Welcome Center. We're reading two chapters a day, and these are the two chapters we're reading today. We just finished reading Jonah. Our theme for the summer is this almost frightening theme where God says to you and to me and every human being, draw near to me. He's saying that because he loves us and he knows that we have a natural tendency to be so busy in life that God seems far away. Have you ever had that experience? This is Father's Day. Congratulations to all of us who had a dad. That's why we're alive. And congratulations to those of you who are dads and granddads and even a few great-granddads among us. So what do you think God wants to say to us on Father's Day? We started our journey, you may remember, on Memorial Day weekend considering that a dad said to his son, I've only got one thing to tell you. That's this. Now, devote your heart and your soul to seeking the Lord your God. That was King David toward the end of his life, and he was challenging his son Solomon. Now look closely at it. And let me ask you, how much in your lifetime have you found yourself there? How much time have you spent seeking the Lord your God? And as you've done that, have you come to know him well so that he can guide you in life, and you're awfully glad? Or must you admit that most of your life you haven't been too worried about seeking the Lord your God and you have found yourself all too often in those places of wrong choices and poor decisions and you've had to scramble to get out of the mess? This morning again, God wants to talk to us about the power of that truth. As we look into the life of a person that you probably didn't even know existed unless you've read 2 Chronicles 26. His name is Uzziah. Would you look with me there, please? Because the first verse tells us that the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father. You remember when you were 16? I couldn't hardly figure out how to wear my hair when I was 16, much less what to do with any day. How about you? Could you have been king of a nation? Now, the reason that it happened is in the verses immediately preceding verse 27 of chapter 25. From the time that Amaziah, that's the father of Uzziah, turned away from following the Lord, they, his leaders, conspired against him in, in Jerusalem. Amaziah grew up as, as a king who wanted to follow God, and he did well until he turned away from the Lord, and then 
his leaders conspired against him and actually assassinated him. So that Uzziah, the man we're looking at today, actually watched his father turn from God and then suffer assassination by his own trusted leaders. And that's why at only 16 years of age, his nation comes to him and says, we need you to be king. Because the kingdom was passed from father to son in those days in Israel. It says there in the first verse of chapter 26, the people of Judah. You may remember that the nation of Israel was one nation, a magnificent nation of God's people under the kingdom, the kingship of Saul and then David and then Solomon, and then it split into two nations. The larger of the two retained the name Israel. The smaller of the two took on the name Judah because it was the tribe of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. So it was that group of people that asked Uzziah to be king. I'd like you to consider, and I hope you brought your pencil, what was Uzziah's blueprint for success as a king? I find it in the next few verses. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. No person in the history of Israel to this day has been the leader for that long. If that was America, that would be uh, being elected as, as uh, the president 13 consecutive times for a, a four-year term. Think about that. 52 years. How could that happen? How could a person be that good at what they do that the nation would want him to continue for that long and God would allow him to remain in leadership that long? Here's the secret. Verse 4, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done, at least at the beginning. Verse 5, he sought God during the days of Zechariah. Now remember, at 16, suddenly his dad is dead, so he has no dad now. But he's only 16 years old, so he needs some men pouring into his life, especially since he's king. Zechariah evidently is the man that God raised up to be the mentor to this young 16-year-old. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. Have you ever had anybody in your lifetime who has instructed you in how to know God? Not know about him, know him. And how to hear his voice and discern what God is saying to you and then how to follow him obediently. Have you had anybody in your life do that? That's what Bob and Sandy were talking to us about a moment ago that they're doing in Vienna. Maybe a more important question are you Zechariah to somebody else? Are you the one who is speaking truth, helping somebody else know God well so they can help somebody else? Would you look at it again? He sought God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, do you see what it says? God gave him success. That's a promise from God, that as you seek him, he will give you success by his definition because you will become more and more a man or a woman of God and he will be able to use you more and more to accomplish on this planet that for which he created you and brought you here. As you drift from God, he will be able to use you less and less and less because now you won't be able to hear his voice and you won't be able to follow him. Got your pencil? 
May I give you four words about practically in our day, how do you know God and follow his leading in your life? You always bring a pencil to Calvary, right? And a Bible. Here's the first word. Word. You know God by pouring this into your mind and your heart. It's the only book in the world authored by God, right? Right? And so you pour the Word of God into your mind and it'll change how you think. You pour the Word of God into your heart, it'll change how you feel and how you relate to people. That's what Zechariah was doing with Uzziah. I put the word fuel there because it becomes for you the fuel of life. Uh, this week I had the, the uh, unusual, rare opportunity, I think, of quickly running down to Florida and help to pack up my 84-year-old father with all of his earthly belongings into a big truck and move him up here to Rockford. Finally, they're over there at Fairhaven. We pulled in on Thursday evening. And I'll tell you what, in a 27-foot rental truck, that gas gauge drops pretty fast at eight miles to a gallon. Fuel, and I thought about that. And I want to ask you, what is the fuel in your life that keeps you going every day? And what are the reserves for you when you find yourself in those difficult places? God's Word is God's fuel for you if you'll immerse yourself into it. Second word for how you can come to know God, worship. Yes, it's what we have done here this morning when we join together in singing and reflecting on His Word and praising Him. But God longs to have you do that privately, personally, all through the week, worshiping him. It means telling him that he is magnificent, uh, giving him uh, the praise and the honor that he is due, right? It also means listening to him because he wants to speak to you as you worship him in those intimate moments. Third word, web. Now, if I put the word web on the screen 25 or 30 years ago, we'd all think about a spider web, right? You put it up there today and we think about the worldwide web. May I suggest to you that God's desire for you and I is that we are well-connected, webbed with other Christians all around the world so that we learn from each other, networked. Do you have some people that you're networked with and they know God better than you do? And they're challenging you to keep growing, and you appreciate that challenge. And are you networked with some people that you know God better than they do, and you're helping them grow? Huh? Can I give you a fourth word? World. You see, as you take his word pouring into your mind and your heart, and you build your relationship with him in worship, and you're well networked and connected, we don't live in this room all week long, do we? We're out there in the world, and we make a difference out there. We impact the world. And as you come face to face with the challenges of our world, you grow in your understanding of who God is because you're experiencing his power when you're coming face to face with the challenges of the world. Am I right? I think I'm right. <laughs> you were sleeping, weren't you? You've been reading this little orange book. 350 of us are. Radical. Listen, I invite you to consider with me what it would mean for all of us to spend all of our lives for the sake of all of God's glory in all of the world. It sounds idealistic, I know. Impact the world. God has created us to accomplish a radically global, supremely God-exalting purpose with our lives. The formal definition of impact is a forcible contact between two things. God has designed your life and mine for a collision course with our world that needs Jesus. 
There's an old maxim that those who say it can't be done should get out of the way of those who are doing it. <laughs> what if a global, God-exalted, passionate idealism is exactly what is needed in the lives of you and me, individual Christians all across America today? What if these radical Christians joined together in communities of faith called churches that were surrendered to the purpose of God for his people? Maybe, just maybe, together, we would see the accomplishment of God's purposes in our day. Huh? Would you agree? How can you know God? Fill your mind and your heart with his word. Worship him frequently. Let him speak into your life. Network with other people who know God well and get in the game out there in the world, bringing the answers of God to the questions of the world. Amen? That's how you do it. Now, what did it look like for Uzziah? Well, here's how he did it. Uh, verse 6 tells us that he rebuilt towns, and God helped him in verse 7. Verse 9 says that he built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and the valley gate as he reinforced the defenses of Jerusalem. Verse 10 tells us that he was a man of the fields. He had people working in his fields and his vineyards. He loved the soil. He would have been at home here in Wisconsin. Verse 11 says he had a well-trained army ready to defend the people. Verse 14 says he provided shields and spears to that army. Verse 15 said he actually designed machines to put up on the walls around Jerusalem for large stones and arrows. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped. Do you see, my friends, that's the practical outpouring of the administration as a king of his nation, but also being out with the people and making a great difference with them as they came to see in him what God was doing in their leader. We've been doing a lot of talking here among the leadership at Calvary about something we're calling four-gen discipleship as a new thrust for us. It's really been an old thrust. It's been a part of Calvary for a long time, but now we really want to wrap our arms around it and own it. Here's what it means, my friends. It's built on this powerful little verse in 2 Timothy 2.2 that Paul writes to Timothy. Now, the things you've heard me say, Timothy, entrust those things to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. Do you see four generations? Paul, Timothy, reliable men, and others. Here's my question. Can you think of someone that in your lifetime you have drawn them to Jesus, you've helped them to know Jesus, they've trusted Jesus Christ to be their Savior, you've poured your understanding of God's truth into their lives, and then you've watched them reach somebody else, and they've drawn somebody to Jesus. And you've watched them teach that person what you taught them. And then you've had the great joy of watching that third person touch somebody else. That's four generations. That's our prayer, that if you're a part of Calvary Community Church, as we go forward, all of us are going to become disciple makers as we help other people know Jesus and then they help other people know Jesus and it multiplies around the world. Huh? Is that a little frightening? Because we're accustomed, aren't we, to just receiving and, oh, this feels so good to take in week after week for me. But may I suggest that everything that we're giving you here at Calvary, we're giving for the purpose of you giving to somebody else so that they can give to somebody else four-generation discipleship. Did it work in Uzziah's life? Look at chapter 26. 
verse, uh, pardon me, chapter 27, verse 2. Jotham was the name of his son, and when he was 25 years old, he replaced his father as king. Verse 2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. Do you see it? As a dad, he taught his son, and his son followed in his footsteps. Look at verse uh, 6. Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. There's a son who learned well from a dad because a dad was determined to teach his son, here's how you do it. How are we doing, fellas? Is that us? None of us can go back and change the past, but all of us can look forward and say, I can do it in a new and better way going forward. Now devote your heart and your soul to seeking the Lord your God and knowing him. So I gave you a little place in your notes there. What's your blueprint for success? Now that I've showed you what Uzziah's was. <laughs> but Uzziah had a problem. Look at verse 16 of chapter 26. After Uzziah became powerful, what does it say? His pride led to his downfall. Oh my. We don't know exactly what that means. We don't know exactly how his pride began to unravel his God-honoring leadership. What do you suppose might be some of the things that happened? I think it's possible that King Uzziah said to his advisors, thanks for your help, but I think I got this king thing figured out. I could take it from here. If I need your help, I'll let you know. Doesn't tell us much about his wife or wives, but I wonder if he had a wife like I do and like many of you men do, a wife who not only prays for her husband, but a wife who occasionally would say, would you consider this? and brings wise perspective. You suppose he said to his wife, the next time I want your opinion, I'll ask for it. And between now and then, silence is a good thing in our home. Huh? You know what happens when pride starts to well up? We distance ourselves from the people who love us and want to help us. And most especially, we distance ourselves from God. Do you see what it says right there? He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Clearly, he began to say, God, thanks for your help, but I got this figured out. I don't need your help anymore. I'll do it my own way. And have you noticed, my friends, that God always does this when you turn prideful? God steps back. God says, clearly, I can't bless your pride. You don't want to be humble before me? You're on your own. And have you noticed that first God will step back and then if we don't get it, he'll start to apply some pressure by removing his hand of protection from us in the dark kingdom then is able to attack. And if we still don't get it, then he'll begin to apply some discipline. Uzziah went into the temple, into that place of prayer where only the priest should go, saying, I'm the king, I'm in charge here. And they came running after him, and they begged him, please don't do this. Verse 19, Uzziah had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, and he became angry. Pride always leads to anger. And while he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, do you see what happened? Leprosy broke out on his forehead. God struck him, the king, with leprosy right there in the temple. God's response to pride, you will not humiliate me and my great name in front of my people. You're the king. Your responsibility is to be leading these people to me, 
not mocking me in their presence, and I'll strike you down right where you are. Now, in those days, leprosy was extremely contagious, and there was no cure. There was only one thing. It's called quarantine. So do you see what they did? Verse 21, Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died, and he lived in a separate house. They built a little house for the king, and they kept him in quarantine. Uh, You're still the king, but we can't let you serve as the king. And so that's why they raised up his son, Joseph. And for 10 years, there was a co-regency there. And he lived with the shame every day of his pride and what it had cost him. Do we need to stop there for just a few seconds and ponder? For any of us in the room close to getting leprosy, God responding to a proud heart. When God has been blessing you and guiding you and leading you, but pride is welling up inside and you're coming dangerously close to the line where God is going to say, I will not let you mock me. Hmm? In the northern kingdom, about the same time, there was another king, Jeroboam, who was also a proud man, and he had turned the people away from God. And so God did a very unusual thing. He raised up a man by the name of Jonah. And if you've been reading through with us, you read his story the last couple of days. And through the life of Jonah, God showed us that he can reach even to the proud, the prideful. And as he does that, it's sometimes an amazing thing. You remember the story he said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, that wicked city, and preach against it. Tell them that I love them. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Assyria was something like, in the early days of World War II, Nazi Germany, gobbling up all of the little countries all around it, and so that it, by this time had become a gigantic empire, and next on the border was Israel. And they lived in fear of this huge army in this nation, but it was a wicked, immoral nation. They hated them. So Jonah, I'm sure, said, God, clearly I have misunderstood you. You can't possibly care for the people of Nineveh. And I don't want to step one foot in their country. And so, no, God, no, I'm not any part of this. And he ran the other direction. You may remember, got on a ship bound for Tarshish. It's one thing to say no to God. It's another thing to run in the opposite direction. It could be that there's somebody here this morning, you've been running from God. Now watch carefully. With Uzziah, who God had been blessing and leading and guiding for decades, when he started mocking God with his pride, God didn't kill him. God struck him with leprosy, so he had to be quarantined and live with his shame. We believe he became repentant in his heart. With Jonah, God didn't kill him. God wanted to teach him a lesson and use him greatly. On that ship... He's with sailors from all over that part of the world, and a storm, a great storm breaks out. Jonah's story tells us that God sent the storm, and all of those sailors started worshiping their gods, and Jonah was sleeping. They woke him up and, worship your God, whoever it is. Uh, Who are you, by the way, and why are you here? And he says, I am a Hebrew. identified himself as a member of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I am a worshiper of Jehovah God, the maker of the land and the sea. 
Jonah tells us they were struck, they were terrified, in fact, that there was one who would identify himself as knowing and worshiping the God who created it all. And then he said, I'm the problem. You see, I'm running away from God. Throw me overboard and everything will be fine. Can you imagine? They tried everything else, you remember, and finally they did throw him overboard and the sea calmed down. And it tells us in Jonah they started worshiping the God of Jonah. Meanwhile, God sends, as you remember, a large fish for the purpose of saving Jonah's life. And inside that fish in Jonah chapter 2, it tells us that Jonah started to worship. And he started to recall the word. And there's one particular powerful verse, you'll see it on the screen, that, that inside that fish he says, those who cling to, worship, to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Look closely at that. Is it possible you see a little bit of yourself there? Oh, there's none, no idol worshipers in this room, I'm confident. But is it possible that you find yourself clinging to something that gets in the way of your relationship with God and makes it hard for you to pursue God and to know God because you're grasping so tightly to something else that there's no room in your heart to know God because your heart is consumed with whatever that thing is. Huh? Those who cling to worthless things forfeit the grace, God's kindness, God's grace that could be there. Jonah became repentant in that fish. God saw he was ready now to be used by him, and so that fish spit him out, you remember, and God said to him, now let's do this another time. Go to Nineveh and tell those people I love them. You see, God wanted him to know the heart of God and that the heart of God for humanity is that no matter who you are and no matter where you've been and no matter what's gone on in your life, God loves you. And God would desire for you to know him and love him. And God would like to break free, break you free from the chains that have held you, whatever they are. God would love to heal your heart and cleanse your heart and give you a whole new fresh start, a second chance at life. Jonah went. Went into that great city and said, there is a God who made this world and who loves you even though you're a wicked people. Repent and he'll spare you. And the king of that place heard him and said, he's right, we are a wicked people. Let's get on our face and let's repent and maybe this God, whoever he is, will spare us. And revival came to that place and God did spare them. And then do you remember that Jonah, it says, got angry with God. You ever find yourself in that place where you say, God, it just isn't fair? Hmm? Do you find yourself sometimes expecting that God is going to function the way you want him to function, and when he doesn't, something wells up inside of you? Either it's, I guess I can't trust God, so I'll just take charge of my life for myself, or God obviously doesn't see it the way I see it, and I'm not sure I trust him, so I'll do it my own way. God says to Jonah, what are you so angry about? There's 120,000 people in that city who don't know me or anything about me. And my heart breaks for those who don't yet know me. And I want them to have a chance. That's why I sent you there. And that's why the Apostle Peter wrote the same thing. You see it there in your notes and you'll see it on the screen. The Lord is patient 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So this morning, on this Father's Day, I want to ask you, do you see a little of yourself in Uzziah? There have been times in your life where you have been challenged to do things that seemed almost insurmountable to you. A 16-year-old boy asked to be king. But you found that if you'll pursue God and, and let him lead you and guide you, he'll strengthen you, he'll empower you, and he'll do great things. He'll bless you. You will experience success by his definition. Has it been a long time since you've experienced that? Maybe it's because you've wandered some and he's calling you back. If you're really, really honest, it's possible that there's some pride that has welled up inside of you as you have looked at your accomplishments in life. And if you're really honest, you see the evidence that God is beginning to distance himself from you because he will not bless you in your pride. He invites you to come back humbly, submissively to him. Don't take a path that distances you from him. Do you find that maybe there's a little bit of Jonah in you? Oh, you're in this 100% as long as God's doing it your way. But when God asks something that just doesn't seem to fit with who you are or what you'd like to do in life, you're running the other way. God, I want no part of this. And aren't you glad that there is no end of the, the, end of the road there where God says, okay, you've run too far now, forget it. Even if you want to come back, you're not coming back. I've cut off the limb. No. God is always reaching, saying, come on back. I know you and I love you. And I understand why you're angry and why you're frustrated and why you're disappointed in me, but come on back. And let me do that great work in you that only I can do. Is it possible that you see yourself in those people of Nineveh? And you know your life has been a mess. And maybe you've concluded that God's given up on you long ago. Let me assure you today, God never gives up. Amen? God never gives up. And he's reaching to you today, wherever you are in the journey, saying, come on, draw near to God and let him embrace you. Let him love you. Let him show you what he'd like to do in your life to clean you up. Let him heal you from the brokenness of the journey of life. And then let him draw you into his great plan and purpose for you going forward. Life can be quite an adventure when you're doing what David said to Solomon, what Uzziah did. Now devote your heart and your soul to seeking after God and knowing him and following him. That's when he can do great things in you and through you. And wouldn't you agree, our world needs it. Now, at the very bottom of your notes, you'll see, though, that it says, my 80-day plan. That means that 20 days of summer 2011 are gone already. we got 80 days left. Now, you can either look at that as, oh, my, what happened here? Or, praise God, we got 80 more days. I want to challenge you today and this week. Make a new plan. And if you didn't have any plan at all, make one. Make the next 80 days count significantly as you and God shake things up as you pursue knowing God as you humble yourself before him as he begins to make it clear to you what he'd like to accomplish in you and through you in the next 80 days because that will then position you for the fall enjoy the summer to the max but draw near to God 
That's my prayer for you, that that is your experience, that little person just over the top with exhilaration of life. God Almighty, in this moment I'm asking you to speak into the life of every person in this room. You know what each of us needs. You know the ones among us, O oh God, who've been running the other direction like Jonah. My prayers this morning, they turn and come back to you. And you receive them well and do great things in them as they learn to trust you again. You know those among us, O oh God, who've been running the race well, but pride has begun to well up and you've had this distance yourself from them. Oh, it's my prayer that humbleness, repentance takes place this morning. Why don't you take this moment to talk with God honestly about where you are in the journey of life. Humble yourself before him. Ask him to show you the things in your life that he wants to change. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, now is a perfect moment. Just acknowledging that he is God who incarnate came here to this earth, lived a perfect life and died to pay for your sin, rose from the dead to prove who he is and to be victorious over sin, Satan, and death, and he now reigns victoriously in heaven. Invite him to be your savior, saving you from your sin, empowering you for the journey ahead. Now, God, we worship you. We worship you, celebrating that your amazing grace can make the difference in any life. We worship you.